Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a Christian psychotherapist specializing in trauma therapy, couples, relationships, and personal development. She is passionate about your life and is here to encourage, teach, and inspire you to be your own best version. Find her online at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Now, with today's fresh insights, Cynthia Hyatt. Well, thank you for joining me. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and you are listening to Conversations with Cynthia. So I tell you every time how appreciative I am that you take your time to listen and to really be educated. And that's, that's an amazing thing because a lot of these topics are pretty challenging sometimes to listen to. And so I really appreciate your courage to really walk through this process. So we are talking this week about actually helping the ones we love. And what that means if you have someone in your life that has a mental illness a mental disorder, any type of a mental health diagnosis. And we're really kind of looking into that and what that means to the caregiver, what, how the, the, the person struggling is, is, is feeling, what they are going through as well. And so we left off at the end yesterday. We talked about the differences between men and women very briefly. And if you want more information about the hardwiring of men and women and how different they are. There are some uh, shows on gender that you'll find on the website that are extremely helpful just relationally to know the difference between men and women and how they do relationship, how they orient themselves in the world. So we left off with what people wish we knew about mental health diagnoses. So anyone that is struggling with a mental health diagnosis, and remember, these are, are varied, and we, sometimes they are, um, we have dual diagnoses, we have ones that are comorbid, we have ones that, um, that means in many ways that it's inherent. And so when, when we think about a mental health diagnosis, we are looking at all the, on the continuum of depression, anxiety, any of the post-traumatic stress syndrome, uh, any of the sensory processing disorder uh, syndrome that's that has to do with autism and Asperger's ADHD. We have some of the compulsive disorders like OCD. We also have schizophrenia. These types of uh, bipolar disorder. That's a different type of a depression. And so they're, they're varied and and uh, and many times they are superimposed on one another. So if we have someone with an anxiety disorder, they may also struggle with an addiction. Same as anyone that's struggling with post-traumatic stress syndrome may also come with an addiction and something, a comorbid condition, which is added to it would be maybe depression and anxiety. So we are maybe treating a whole bunch of different components to what's going on with this person. So the main thing they wish we knew was how much they do not want to be defined by their illness. And have everything be, well, that's because you are anxious. Well, that's because you're depressed. Well, that's because this. And, and, and we have eating disorders that are in that that are very, very complicated that often come with a dual diagnosis. And so on top of the eating disorder, which may have been developed because of post-traumatic stress syndrome or may have been developed because of anxiety or depression or obsessive-compulsive disorder, so we see a lot of, of people with different 
um, what we would call the symptomology that they bring with them to the diagnostic process, that we have to go, wow, okay, they're first presenting to me an eating disorder. But what might be underlying that? What might be underneath that or that created or started the onset of an eating disorder? So there's a lot of diagnoses that goes with it. And so these individuals that struggle with these things really don't want to be defined by the illness. And it's scary knowing that they may face rejection and judgment if they are honest about what they're struggling with and how profound the struggle is. And it's terrifying for them to think that people will give up on them or burn out because they're not getting better fast enough or because they struggle with a relapse. They might do well for 10 years and then struggle again. And so what you want to also realize with people that are struggling with mental health uh, issues, that wrestling with God does not mean they don't have faith. Because people that don't have faith don't wrestle with God. So if they're wrestling with God, it means there's something there. They are being af- they're afraid they can't believe in God. They're afraid that God doesn't hear them. They're afraid God doesn't love them. They don't understand why God isn't healing them. They're afraid God is ha- mad at them or hates them or that they're going to be in trouble with God or they're going to be punished. And so you have to understand that, that this is part of the struggle for any Christian that has a mental health issue. It's also scary for someone that has any type of a, of a mental health issue that they may lose some autonomy when it comes to the relationship because they may feel more dependent than they want to feel. And so it's important as we are looking at, wow, how complicated these relationships many are, m- many times are, that I want to give you some, gen- some general education. So what do I do, right, when we have to look at psychotropic medications? Because there's many different drug classifications, and I'm not going to go into all the class 1, class 2, class 3, class 4 drugs. That would be an important part of the diagnostic process and asking the doctor for some more education on that. What I want you to understand is that the basic antidepressants like Zoloft, Lexapro, Celexa, all these different, you know, I always say to people, listen, these are not addictive drugs because nobody parties with Prozac. So it's imperative that you understand the drug classification. If they are on anti-anxiety medications, these are addictive in nature. This is why they are a different drug class. And so when it comes to antidepressants, these are not addictive agents. They may create some dependency but they don't have an altered state that addictive substances do. Alcohol is addictive. It alters your state. This is why people addict to addictive agents, because they give them an altered feeling. So when we are diagnosing someone struggling with an addiction, we want to find out why do you want to alter your experience? What's wrong or uncomfortable about the experience without any type of substance? So when someone wants to alter their experience, that's really good information for us. So really understand that if there looks like a dependency on an antidepressant, it isn't an addictive dependency. 
it's kind of like, would we say that a, a diabetic is dependent on insulin? Yes. Are they addicted to insulin? No. So it's very different. So it's important to know the differences so you don't judge inappropriately. Now, let's look at, at the brain. This is Romans. I like this verse. 8, 7, it says, The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God, does not submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. So now this is a, this is a generalization of this Bible verse because that's a very complicated Bible verse. But what you want to think about is nobody really wants to be on medication. Who would want to do that? And it's the transforming and the renewing of the mind that we get many times with these phenomenal psychotropic meds and what they can do for people and give people their life back. Because your brain is like a computer. And we talked a little bit about this, that you know how you feel when your devices don't work. And you have to go to the Apple store and they tell you that they figured out the problem and they did all this diagnostic stuff on your computer and they said, hey, we fixed the problem. You go home and it's not fixed. And how exhausting that is to continue to go back and say, okay, it didn't work, it didn't work, it didn't work. So when your brain, like a computer, isn't processing information ap appropriately, it's mentally exhausting and it also can be embarrassing and it's scary. So what happens if my computer is racked with viruses? Imagine, it's very frustrating. So I have two options. I can either ask for help or just stop working on it, right? So the Geek Squad is kind of like a really good diagnostician that is able to administer whatever medicine that computer of yours needs. And you walk away and you go, oh, this computer works. Oh, it's so relieving. It's not losing information. So when you think about somebody taking an antidepressant, it's kind of the difference between me with my computer saying, I'm willing to go to the Apple store, I'm willing to go to Best Buy, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get this computer so it's working, or because it's not working, I'm just going to sit here and have a beer, right? Because I'm too overwhelmed by it, I'm too exhausted with it. So I like this um, what Dr. Harnish, he's a very famous Christian psychiatrist, says. He says, you know, the devil uses every weapon in his arsenal to disrupt God's plan for our lives. And we should use every weapon available to come against him. I liken it to armed forces going to fight a war. The Army, the Navy, the Air Force. I see the Army as medication. It's the trenches. It's in the trenches doing the physical battle. So he says, as a psychiatrist... He's like the general of the army, and he directs the forces and to arm the nerve endings in the brain with Zoloft, Paxil, Seroquel, Prozac, whatever it is, whatever the best weapon to assist the physical body to return to normal. So the Navy, it's kind of like counseling. It's a more fluid and, a, and performs a different but equally necessary function. The Air Force is like prayer and scripture. Because when we, when we pray and speak the word of God, we're performing airstrikes on the devil. So you wouldn't go to war with only one branch of the service. All three are essential. So we have medication. We have the doctors, psychiatrists. We have the word of God to assist the body. We have counseling. And we have prayer. And so this is why it's really important to not limit God by only using one weapon. 
So you, it's kind of the saying that, you know, you don't take a pistol to every argument, right? You have to understand what it is that this person is needing. And so really let's understand the difference between dysfunction and DNA. Because if somebody is born, okay, this is DNA, nobody chooses to be depressed. Nobody wants these problems. They would much rather have a physical condition. So nobody gets to choose their DNA. We only have to contend with it and manage it in a very healthy and mature manner. So if we have some DNA issues like mental illness, it leads to dysfunction. Now high dysfunction can lead to some mental illness. So sometimes it's important to find which, which came first, the chicken or the egg. Sometimes it's not that important. And so addictions in general are what we call comorbid or co-occurring. So they are, they are usually brought in because of a predisposing pre, uh, 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 situation. And so many times people can live without addictions even if they have that in their DNA. What we find, though, is that if we have some DNA that is very susceptible to addicting, there usually has been generation after generation of high family dysfunction. So it makes it a, a natural, logical consequence to go from high family dysfunction to I need to have a substance to help me manage the family dysfunction. So what we do is we do not want to judge. We don't want to judge. Nobody was asked permission when they were created. God is the one that creates. And God knows that he is dealing with fallen DNA. So what do I do if my loved one doesn't want help? Well, we love the forsaken. So how do I help my loved one without hurting myself? So first and foremost, we want to accept. We want to go through that grief and loss process because I still need to accept their boundaries and that they're taking a different route to recovery or they're choosing not to recover. Either way, if they're adults, I have to respect their boundaries. And this is the trust issue with God, that no matter how much you love that loved one, God loves them more. God knew this was happening. God knew every moment, every minute of their life when he created them in their, in their mother's womb. He knows every day that they're going to have. And he is committed 110% to that person regardless of whatever situations they have gotten themselves into. So it doesn't mean recovery won't happen. So don't be discouraged. It takes a long time. Everybody's route to recovery is very different. And so as long as you're not the legal guardian, then you stay in contact with that person as much as you can without corrupting your heart or affecting your health. If this person does not choose recovery, then you have to be careful how much you interact with them because it will be so sad and so enraging. So you have to be careful what happens to your heart when we get too close. So we've talked before on, the, on sh different shows about boundaries and, and that you think about you drop a rock in a pond and how it ripples out. So that loved one, if it's a child, if it's a spouse, 
maybe it's an ex-spouse, if it's a parent, if it's a best friend, partner, you probably want them on ripple one to five. But if they are refusing recovery, if they are refusing to make good decisions about their own health and mental health, then you may have to move them out to a farther ripple, 25, 40, 60, in order to not have your own heart corrupted and filled with hatred or disdain or rage or judgment, whatever that might be. So you want to be seen by them as a safe person, which means that we practice acceptance. I don't have to like all the decisions that person is making. God loves the entire world and we are making very bad decisions. And it's a good thing he has really good boundaries or he would have killed us all by now, I'm sure. So you need to be a big enough person. You have to have a big enough ego to handle it. And that means, I'm not saying an ego like a fragile ego where you're highly sensitive. I'm saying a strong enough ego to not take it personally. To be able to have enough boundary to say, you know, I know who I am. Whatever they're saying about me, however they're reacting to me, whatever their behaviors are, are not a reflection on me. And I say this to you parents of adult children. If you look back and judge your own parenting and think that you are the reason for this child's dysfunction, then you have to recognize that God knew he was giving them to you. He knew exactly the kind of parent you were going to be, and he's already made provision for that person to heal from not having perfect parents, if that person chooses to heal from that. None of us had perfect parents. None of us. It doesn't mean that you don't make amends as best as you can. It doesn't mean that you don't continue on your walk with God, becoming the person that he wants you to be. But you need to be very careful that the enemy doesn't come in and cause you to fall into self-judgment and want to think that you are the one responsible for them. Because if they are adults, they are responsible. See, the be most beautiful thing God gives all of us is, is the gift of growing up. We don't stay with our primary caregivers longer than 18, 25 years. That's about what we're supposed to be. God didn't plan for us to stay till we were 50 and then have 20 years of our own adulthood. No, he gave us 18 years, 16, 18, 21 years with our primary caregiver. And then we get another 40, 50, 60 years of our own life, the way we want to live our own life. So it's imperative that you recognize whatever amends or forgiveness you have to do with yourself, with God, with that child. And then you have to let that go. See, everybody has a right to screw up their own life, and God respects that. So if your adult child, if, if your spouse, if your partner, if whoever that may be, is choosing poorly, you have to respect their right to do that. See, it's our life, and we're allowed to do whatever we want with it. God gives us the gift of our own life. We spend that gift however we want to spend it. So everyone has a different way of finding Jesus. Just like the prodigal son, we need wisdom when it comes to this. And this is, this is one of the most grievous parts of, of mental health issues. So where is God when there is this mental health issue? Well, we have 
three different stories that I really like. Well, actually four, but we're going to talk, we already talked about the Good Samaritan. So we're going to talk about the prodigal. And so God is always there. He can heal. He cares. He does not judge. He has a plan. He is never quitting and he's always hoping. So we always believe that God can do anything and we do not grow weary in well-doing. Understanding that healing absolutely comes from heaven, and I'm still asking for what we all need. We are always asking God. So when we are looking at the ways that God is intervened in people's lives, right, we see these three stories. We see the prodigal son. See, God gave the father courage to set boundaries and watched over his boy until his boy came to his right mind. So sometimes we have a prodigal, and we have to let them go, or we have to tell them to leave. Everybody has a different way of finding truth. How about the demonized boy? The story of the demonized boy. That father brought his demonized boy year after year, day after day, to every caregiver he could find, And so the story of this is that he kept caring and kept asking and kept hoping and didn't give up, didn't become weary and well-doing, and God answered the Father's prayer in due time. So it was a trust issue. And then we see Lazarus. He had a terminal disease. And Jesus seemingly had waited too long to heal him. We thought he was dead We thought he was lost. But all the while, he had great compassion on the people and the community all participated in learning and growing because of the experience and God's glory was revealed. It was so painful to Mary and Martha that Jesus waited, waited. And then, of course, we have the Good Samaritan and we've talked about that. So we have one more day on this topic of actually helping the one we love. So we're going to look tomorrow at this whole idea of uh, uh, more on where is God when there is mental health or terminal illnesses. And we're going to look more at that. We are also going to look at how caregivers learn through the process of caregiving. What is God doing through those of us that are caring for the hurting ones? What are we to be learning in the process? And that God is completing his good work in me as I am willing to be a good neighbor. So there's a lot that we're going to be addressing when, when, we, uh, when we come back tomorrow, and we're gonna, there's a couple of things we're going to learn that are very important from uh, the ninth chapter of Mark. So if you're going to listen tomorrow, you may want to just read that, that chapter, Mark 9. And it, it is very, very helpful. And then we're going to talk all about 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. And I'm hoping and I'm believing this is helpful and encouraging for you. I love it when you uh, email me. 
Let me know some of the, if you have any questions that you'd like me to answer as you've heard as you've listened to the show. And also, if you want a keynote speaker, I love to do that for your group. Make sure you check out all the social media, and make sure you check out the website at CynthiaHyatt.com for any of the help that you need. And thank you so much for being with me today. Have a great day, and talk to you tomorrow. To hear today's program again or to share it with someone else, please go online, CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Conversations with Cynthia is heard daily at 3 p.m. and 12 noon every Sunday on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Follow Cynthia on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Cynthia Hyatt. Until next time, remember... Be your own best version. Yeah.